You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's go to our scripture. Let's go to God's word. When we open up the Bible, um, we're hearing from God. And we should prepare our hearts according to that reality that God wishes to speak to us this morning. We're continuing in our, our series through the Gospel of John, looking at these special encounters. And today feels a little bit more like a confrontation between Jesus and a leader, uh, in, a leader of the Jews. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here we learn the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. There's a a well-known preacher from the 1700s named George Whitfield, and there's this famous story that many have come to hear about him during a preaching series that he was giving at his church. And the title of his sermon was, You Must Be Born Again. And it was compelling, and it was uh, powerful. And the next Sunday, he comes back, and the title of his sermon is, you must be born again. He gives his exact same sermon preached that week that he did the week prior. People are a little bit confused, and so they come back the next week, and for the third Sunday in a row, he gives the same exact sermon called, You Must Be Born Again. And some are growing a little, a little bit confused and thinking it's a bit obnoxious that he's preaching the same sermon three Sundays in a row, and some of the church elders came up to him and said, why do you keep preaching this sermon, You Must Be Born Again? And he simply replied, because you must be born again. The title of this morning's sermon is, You Must Be Born Again. And so come back next week, we'll see what happens. (laughs) That's really, really the true and truly the message of this passage of of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader of the law, a, a studier of God's word, of all of the scriptures, 
and, and this man named Nicodemus, and this encounter, it does feel like a confrontation, a correction, a rebuke even. Not an angry confrontation, but, but a direct, and even at times, a forceful confrontation that immediately gets to the heart of what Jesus wants to communicate. It gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. With, with no room for confusion as what does it mean to, to be a part of the family of God, the kingdom of God, to be a child of God, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. And, and here with Nicodemus, this encounter, we see a man who may as well be like, like so many of us at different times. He comes to Jesus in the night, possibly because under the cloak of darkness, like not wanting to be seen with Jesus. But he comes as a man possibly not wanting to look confused because he's a man of great intelligence and he's too proud to admit that he is very smart and still there's things about faith and life that he does not understand. And so when he approaches Jesus, he says to him, Rabbi, we know, we know you're a teacher and, and, and obviously God is with you because you're doing things that no one can do unless God is with you. There's a really a way for Nicodemus to seek out Jesus, to know more about him, to get answers from Jesus without admitting that there are things that just don't make sense to him. His approach is a little like somebody going to maybe a counseling session or seeking counsel uh, with somebody and saying, I, I have a friend who's you know, really struggling with such and such a problem, when in reality that friend is really just a, a way of just talking about the things you're struggling with without admitting that you have some things that you are worried about or you want counsel in. And Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus. And we know this because Jesus starts off with saying, truly, truly. We saw this last week. I told you you're going to see this phrase a ton through the Gospel of John, and we see it again here three times, in fact, in this passage. Remember what this means. It means very truly. It means, it means it's Jesus' way, and actually everyone in the Greek world reading this or hearing this would understand the reason for this emphasis, what is about to come out of Jesus' mouth is the bottom line, clear-cut, certain truth. We are about to hear from Jesus absolute truth, right from the word of God. And so he says, Nicodemus, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say here. And what is the absolute truth? That unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no kind of Christian who is not a born-again Christian. Now, I want you to think about the baggage that might come with that phrase, born-again Christian. You know, some of you are, love it. I mean, some love this phrase and, and use this phrase and use it to communicate your, your own beliefs. Uh, some resist it because it might be, you know, labeling you as like a spiritual fanatic. You're like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those kinds of Christians. You know, my aunt's a born-again Christian. I know what those are like, but I'm not. I'm, I'm a, like a regular Christian. <laughs> my encouragement is, is just to leave that baggage at the door. Leave it and hear these words anew, like in a fresh way from Jesus. A fresh phrase from the mouth of Christ. And using this metaphor of, of new birth, Jesus addresses a few things. The reason that we need a new birth, the dangers of missing the new birth, and then the requirement for a new birth. He addresses all of these. Let's look at the first, the reason for a new birth. You know, after Jesus tells Nicodemus, you, you must be born again, Nicodemus grows confused, right? How can this be? 
And he takes Jesus' metaphor quite literally. How can an older man become born again and become young again? Does he go into his mother's womb and enter into the world a second time? And just think for a moment, if you're a Christian, do you, do you know how you might give an answer to this kind of question? If you're talking about being born again and having a relationship with God in, in such a term like that, using that metaphor, and someone came to you and said, that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? To be born again. How might you respond to a question like that? Now listen to what Jesus says and his reasons for why he uses it. Verse 5 to 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Here's what he's saying. This is what he means. Our first nature comes from our earthly mother and father. You and, all, you and I all have a nature that we, are, that we have when we are born into this world comes from mom, it comes from dad, and it is naturally opposed to God. It is naturally rebellious. It's disobedient. It's naturally self-seeking. We're born into this world with a nature that is natural. In fact, even psychologists studying human development agree that the first chance that an infant gains the motor skills and intellect needed, that they will immediately seek autonomy from their mother. The first chance that a child gets to do what they want, they will do exactly just that. Did I hear amen? Yes, okay. <laughs> now, I don't want to deter you from having children. Please, have, have many of them. But just know what you're getting into. <clears throat> okay. This is, this is also our nature. This is the reality. This is what the Bible teaches, that there is an earthly disposition in every single one of us, an earthly disposition that is um, against God, against God. Rebellion, autonomy, and disobedience. And so Jesus says there's one who is, you know, the one who is uh, born of flesh is of the flesh, natural, human birth produces people that are of an earthly family of humankind. And being born as a human into the family of humankind does not naturally make you a child of God. So Jesus argues, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And this is where Nicodemus gets really confused, right? But this is where he should really be in understanding a lot. Nicodemus was a scholar of the Old Testament, and Jesus is speaking in terms of Old Testament prophecy and promise. Nicodemus should have known what Jesus was talking about, because the Old Testament would talk about hearts that were defiled, hearts that were dirty, hearts that were, that were prone to disobey God, hearts that were turned against God, and God promised that he would pour out his spirit to cleanse the hearts of his people water and spirit. That the spirit would have like a cleansing nature to the heart of his people. That wouldn't, that wouldn't give them improved nature, but actually change their nature altogether. To take their human nature and to take their natural bent against God and to give them a spiritual nature with a new heart, new loves, new, new emotions, ambitions, and desires. Ones that, ones that are now prone to honor God, obey God, love God, and share in his love. 
This was always God's promise, right? As a response to the heart, of, the heart problem of his people, he, he always promised to give a new heart to his people that was clean, fresh, without blemish. Clean lives, full of the spirit that God would pour out on his people. This is what baptism signifies. It signifies the cleansing reality of the gospel, of God's promises, of all the blessings of God being ours by grace through faith. And this is the reference to the water and the spirit. It is the cleansing work of God being poured out into our hearts. And Jesus is saying, if you knew your Bible, you would know this. You would know that it's always been about this, that we're born into this world with hearts that are against God and only God can clean our hearts. And that's what we need. We're born into this world a first time with a a nature that is bent towards selfishness, but our new nature comes from God, which is bent towards love, obedience, and worship. And there is a giant distance between the two. There's a a giant distance between a heart that is unclean and a heart that is clean. There's a giant distance between the earthly nature and our heavenly nature that God can provide. It It is a distance that you and I cannot travel, that we cannot bridge ourselves. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Human birth leads to being a part of a human family. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Spiritual birth leads to being in God's family. That's why we need a new birth. That's why we need this new birth. And Jesus is attempting to, to really jog his memory of the scriptures. How could this be that you, that you teach God's word and yet you've missed the whole point of it? It's always been about the heart. It's always been about the grace of God being poured out on his people. In a nutshell, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you're very smart. You're very intelligent. You're very accomplished, but you lack the very most important thing. The most important thing, a spiritual rebirth is what you don't have. And that's the very thing you need really leads to the danger of missing the new birth as he gets to this with Nicodemus. Let's look at this next one, the danger of missing the new birth. We see why we need it. But here is the danger of how we can actually miss it. Some incorrectly believe that the Old Testament is about, you know, God's wrath, God's punishment, and the New Testament is about God's love his grace, and his mercy. But the Old Testament prophets knew that Christ would come. They looked for him. They prophesied for him. God told him, tell, tell my people that this is a reality, that this will come. They knew that God would send someone to bring the greatest thing that we needed, our salvation, and it's the most important thing in the world. Are we going to sing a song? <laughs> Nothing but the blood. <clears throat> the prophets, the writers of Scripture were reporters, Right? They were reporters. They were ones that, that received news and then told news to people. They investigated actual events. And they knew that someone had to come into the world to not just change our behavior and our intelligence, but to give us a new nature altogether. And they actively and carefully searched for this all over the world to find out exactly what God had in mind and who this person would be. And Nicodemus should have realized that what God had in mind was always a spiritual renewal, a changed heart. And yet he missed the point. Look at the tragedy of Nicodemus. 
one who you can't rise to this status of leader in among the Jews lightly and easily. He was one who memorized the Torah. He memorized the Old Testament scripture. Uh, they didn't have the Bible like we did, carefully um, organized. Uh, they memorized it. He would teach it. He would answer deep questions that people had about how to live and who God was and how we ought to serve him. He spent his entire life preparing to be this proficient leader of God and his people. And yet he missed the whole point. He knew the scriptures frontwards and backwards, and he missed the entire point of it. What is the point of all of scripture? That no manner of improvement to our earthly nature can bridge the gap between us and God, but only through a new nature born of God. You see, so much talk I hear today about being a faithful Christian, being a good Christian, is about becoming a more improved version of yourself. You get angry easily, then be less angry. Do you you lack patience? Then then try to be more patient. Are you unkind? Then, Then be kind. Are you stingy? Try to be generous. But unless you have the Holy Spirit come into your life, you haven't begun to be a Christian. This is the tragedy of Nicodemus, one who has spent his entire life in the religious community. We could say in the church of that time. He's the picture of the nominal Christian. Have you heard that phrase? Nominal Christianity. I mean, listen, on paper, I mean, we would hire Nicodemus here in a heartbeat. The Pharisees get a lot of, they get, they get a lot of ridicule, but they were the ones, I mean, they were amazing. I mean, they, he, would lead, he would lead our small group ministry. <laughs> I mean, he, his sermons would be so airtight. I mean, he, his sermons would be amazing. His reputation would be impeccable. We would look at Nicodemus and say, man, if, if our church had a, had a guy like Nicodemus, had, had, a, had, a, had a girl like Nicodemus, if I had 10 Nicodemus, Nicodemi, we could, <laughs> sorry, we could change the world. And here's the unpopular reality that Jesus exposes in Nicodemus that needs to be exposed in churches all around America, all around the world, in our church, that it is very possible to have a very impressive Christian behavior and credential and reputation and not be a part of the kingdom of God. When we make Christianity about the work that we do, we have missed the entire point of the gospel. When we make Christianity about improvements that we have made, we make We've missed the entire point of the gospel. When we make Christianity about ways we don't sin, like the people who sin we don't like, we have missed the entire point of the gospel. We are never talking about the gospel if we're talking about all the things we have done to deserve it. There is no such category in scripture for a non-born-again Christian. 
And there's danger in missing this new birth. Our only hope in the kingdom of God, because we've placed greater premium on spiritual knowledge and spiritual activity than over spiritual renewal. So how do we get it? How do we get it, right? That's what we need to get to. And hopefully that is the question on your hearts and minds. That's really the heart of the matter, isn't it? So how do we become born again? Here's the requirement for the new birth. And, and, and here's what I love as I was studying this week in my, my scripture journal, and I'm taking notes. And the way it's broken up in my journal here is in verse 14. And Jesus says this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the, and then it stops there in, in my journal here. And when he says, so must the, when he's saying so must, he's about to talk about a requirement that must happen in order for us to be born again. And I'm thinking, what is he going to say? I actually was thinking, well, I want to try to figure out what he's going to say before I flip the page. So must what? What would you put in there? What must happen if we are to be saved? I'm wondering what it is. So must the the person be blameless in all things. So must the person be, be humble and full of character. So must the person change his ways and obey God. But then I flip the page and it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's not about me at all. It's about Jesus. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, we can know the Bible and miss the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is about Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is not about the world, the, the, about what you and I do in this world but about the work of Christ and what he has done for us. The son of man is is Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. He calls himself the son of man all the time. Many names were given to Jesus. You even see it in John chapter 1. The son of God, he's called rabbi. He's called uh, the lamb of God. Uh, He is called the king of the Jews. But the name he likes for himself is the son of man. And he uses it more than any other name. And when you realize why he likes this name more than any other name, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. And it actually shows exactly what he has done for us. He, he says he's a son of man, the son of man. And guess what? I'm a son of man too. Not in the same way. You're, you're a son of man. He, he says we're born of, we're born of man. Uh, being human, he says he is human. Being human is enough for God to care about you. God cares about you because you're made in his image. He, he loves you. He cares for you. And being human is enough for us to be cared about, but it is not enough for God to forgive us. See, being human is not enough for God to forgive our sins. Because of our failure, because of our weakness, because of our rebellion and disobedience, because of all the things that have come about as a, as a reaction of, to the heart that we have in our sinful nature. Right? That first nature that was given to us when we were born. Man, woman, and children, they're all given responsibility and calling and dominion over God's creation, and we've abused that calling. We go against God's love every time we disobey him, and that's what sin is. And so there must be another son of man. There must be another one that is born, human, to live the life that we live, to do all the things that we did, to face all uh, the, the roads that we, would ha- we walked and failed to and do it all perfectly this time. He had to face every temptation 
And instead of failing like you and I, he had to be faithful in it where we were sinful. He had to be sinless. The natural way is rebellion against God, the way of the flesh, and that leads to spiritual death. But even then, in the worst of our sins, a miracle happens. The Son of Man is sent to face every temptation that we have faced, to do it perfectly, and then to die as a sacrifice for all those who have rebelled. That's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. The Bible would, would prophesy about the Son of Man who would come and do exactly that. That one born of man that would die for our sins. And Jesus takes upon himself this name and tells Nicodemus, this is what he came to do. And he refers to an incident that occurred in the wilderness when the Israelites escaped from Egypt. They were, they were rescued from Egypt by God's powerful hand and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So you remember that and Jesus here alludes to this incident, incident where many of God's people were bitten by snakes. And these were poisonous snakes and they were dying. And God told Moses, make a serpent out of bronze and hold it up high, way above your head, so that it's in plain view of all of, my, all of the sick people. And any sick person who looks upon that serpent in faith, knowing that by doing that and believing in God's promise, they will be healed and they will not die. And every person who looked upon that serpent in faith was healed of their sickness. And those who didn't look upon it died. An entire generation of people died because they failed to believe in God's promise. And Jesus says, that's me. Just like that serpent was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. And anyone who looks to me and believes in me that I have come to heal their sickness, to give them a new heart, to forgive their sins, to give them eternal life, to bridge that gap between human nature and spiritual nature, they will be saved. The requirement to be born again is for Jesus to be lifted up and for us to look upon him in faith. We stopped at 3.15, but 3.16 is really part of the same narr narrative as well. You know John 3.16? It's a little obscure verse in the Bible. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What must we do? It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about changing our behavior. It's not about working harder. Who can be, Nicodemus, Nicodemus missed it. Who, who's going to be better than him? A scholar of the law, memorized scripture, a leader of God's people. For, for Nicodemus, his failure to believe is worse than his failure to understand. Let me say it again. His failure to believe is worse than his failure to understand. There are many things about how God operates in this world and what he communicates in scripture that are frankly difficult to understand. It's hard to know the mind of God. It's hard to know how he works. It's hard to know how everything works together for his glory. 
Now, while we are encouraged to seek understanding, we must be careful to not require complete understanding in order to believe him. I can't believe in God because I just can't get my head around this problem I keep running into in the Bible. You ever felt that or ever heard someone say that? I would love to believe in God, but, but this just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how God can be gracious and yet calls us to be responsible. I, I can't, I, I'd love to believe God, but I can't get my head around how people who love God can still suffer in this world. I'd love to believe God, but, but I can't get my head around how I have been faithful to God and, and trying my hardest, and yet I still feel so much lack of peace. That approach is a failure to appreciate who God really is. It is a failure to appreciate who Jesus is as he stands before us and says, you must believe in me if you want to have any part with God. And so do not be like Nicodemus, who can't get his head around this concept of this new spiritual rebirth. And we don't know what happens to him. We don't know if he believed in Jesus. We don't know if he if it eventually got to his heart and clicked and he was made new. But the point is not about Nicodemus. The point is about Jesus and how he is presented to us. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to be a Christian? Do not simply just turn over a new leaf in your life or just tidy up your behavior. It essentially amounts to a belief that if you don't do your best to follow God's rules, then you'll never receive blessing from him. And that's not what it means to be a Christian. Instead, acknowledge your own sickness of sin that comes from a nature that's prone to wander from God and look to the cross where Jesus pours out his healing on all who trust in him. Jesus knew, he said, I must be lifted up for all to see. And this would be the requirement for the rescue of sinners. He's lifted up on the cross and everybody looks upon him. What does that cross tell us? It's a confrontation. It is an encounter. It is a rebuke of our, all of our views that say that if we're just better, God will love us. But what it means that he had to come because of our sinful nature, our rebellion. And he delighted in coming to save us. Look upon Christ. With your eyes, with your hearts, Believe that he was sent to save and rescue you. Trust in him and be healed. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.